the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by Border Hawk News on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador. George Rodriguez. The El Conservador Show is pre-recorded for Saturday, September 25th, 2021, and brought to you courtesy of Border Hawk News. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer, and we've got uh, a new guest with us, a a lady who is uh, a resident, a lifelong resident of uh, the Del Rio area, where uh, where the border crisis is at its worst right now. And uh, she has property uh, that, uh, you know, has been handed down to her th- from the family. And uh, I wanted to reach out to her and ask her what her experience is now with the problems going on at the border, as well as uh, compare it to what it has been in the past. Uh, and, you know, what incidences are going on. Uh, Miss Esther Chapoy, Miss uh, Chapoy, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Uh, tell us, how long has your family uh, owned the property and how long have you lived on the on the border? Well, the family has lived here in Del Rio for a long, long time. The, the Chapoys came from France in 1842, before Texas became a state. Yeah. And... and uh, they came all the way to Del Rio. Some of the family went on into Mexico. But my father's family stayed here in Del Rio, and I'm the last one here. And so I've ended up with property that all of it originally was my grandfather's land that he bought in the about the 1930s. And the reason he bought this land was because he actually owned a ranch in Mexico. But Mexico passed a law that said that if you were not a citizen of Mexico, you could not own land on the border with Mexico and another country. So my grandfather was in a bad spot trying to sell the ranch in Mexico because World War II started up and in, in you know in 18, what, 1940s, and uh, my dad went off to, to World War II while my grandfather was trying to put the ranch in my dad's name and make my dad a Mexican citizen. But all of that fell apart. And so my grandfather had to sell the ranch in Mexico cheaply, and he bought in in, in this area, in Del Rio. And um, the land has been passed down, and I've ended up with this small area that I have, but I'm about half a mile as the crow flies from the river. Now, uh, you have seen, you have lived on the border, you have seen illegal immigration in the past, what are you seeing now? <laughs> what I'm seeing now? Oh, last night it, it was eight forty. I mean, ten forty at night, and there were helicopters over my house. That you know, it's reassuring in a way, but it's also very alarming. Yes, I guess. <laughs> you know, you know, and and you know, I'm very grateful for all of the law enforcement and being a retired law enforcement officer. I am very pro of the blue. And and uh, when I see all of the DPS vehicles running up and down my street, I am grateful for them, and I'm grateful for Border Patrol. I for a while there, I was baking cookies and and donating cakes and all kinds of stuff to the Border Patrol station. But here lately, what I've had to do is I've had to center more on replacing my fences, and and I've added more lighting to the outside of my house, and I'm getting a dog. That I didn't have before, so <laughs> I have to take care of myself and and do what I need to do because I live alone. I am a retired law enforcement officer, and now I walk around my house 
concealed carried or open carried, whatever I want to do that day to take care of myself 24-7. My goodness. Now, how far... I am sleeping. Oh, I am my. sleeping armed. That's not real comfortable, but I have to. Oh, my goodness. Uh, how far are you from the uh, staging area where the Haitians are and versus how far are you from uh, where other traffic is coming in? Okay. This morning I saw Border Patrol vans come from the river area on my street. And that, where they're picking those up, I mean, that's uh, half a mile. Now, where the staging area where this under the, the International Bridge, where I used to work, I mean, I used to get in my car and I'd be there from my house into my office, sit, seated at my desk in five to eight minutes. No. And how, how is it? I mean, so you're that close. Oh, yes. But, the, but you know, what, what I'm trying to explain to folks is that that's a different group than the groups that are coming across through other unprotected areas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those, those people are the ones that are saying, hi, I'm here. They've rung that, uh, that imaginary doorbell and said, you know, I'm here. I want to come in. I just don't want to go through the bridge. I'm going to go under the bridge. And and then there are the ones that are, you know, probably know that they have criminal histories and they want to go around this whole area and they just kind of creep through everywhere else. The other day a neighbor called me and said, hey, her husband had just seen a a very large man walking on, on a, in a field next to mine. Wow. And and uh, DPS and and the National Guard were lined up on on Quality Drive, My so goodness. they were looking for them. Do uh, have you? I mean, let's let's talk. I mean, because I was born and raised, I was born in in Laredo and raised in South Texas. I cannot remember seeing. I remember t- people griping about uh, los mojados, as we used to call them, mm-hmm. who would come over, compete for jobs or work. Mm-hmm. Do, do menial labor and then go back or, uh, you know, go further north. Uh-huh. This is a different type of, of, of immigrant or alien that's coming in. I mean, this is, this is, this is, these folks don't, don't even, you know, have a, a Latino uh, culture. So how are they going to mix? They won't. They won't. But, you know, I was thinking about that this morning and I was thinking, when when I was a kid, you know, my parents, of course, raised and they lived a very Christian life. And my father was the ultimate good Samaritan. And every illegal alien that walked down the street and he would he would give them water and food. I mean, if it was a banana or a sandwich or or peanut butter on a slice of bread, whatever it was, he fed them. You know, but these were people that were humble people just coming over here to work on a ranch somewhere. And then they went back. You know, mm-hmm. and and then when I got my job working for U.S. Customs, I'll never forget the day my my dad called me one day, and he says, "Mija," he said, "I think these people are through eating, and they're in the kitchen. If you could make a phone call for me," I said, "I I'll take care of it. Bye." <laughs> I called Border Patrol. I said, "Please go to my father's house." Go into the kitchen. He's got some aliens in there. He's been feeding them. He's old. He's blind, and he needs for someone to come and get those people out of there. Oh I jumped. God. I jumped out of my office. I went by, by my supervisor's office. I said, "I gotta go home." I jumped in my car. I got here real quick, and and there were border patrol all over the place, and they were taking the aliens out of my father's kitchen. I said, "Please <laughs> don't ever do that again." <laughs> Oh that is, no! That is that is so typical of the old ways. I mean, that's yes, you, that you know, was the you, old ways. And I would tell him, I said, "Daddy, these people are not the same kind of people anymore. No, these people—they're going to hit you over the head and rob you, or no telling what. You know, you can't—you can't do this anymore." Now, now, Esther, Esther, let me let me ask you about. Uh, vandalism, because that's one of the biggest things that we're hearing from ranchers and property owners. Mm-hmm. Have uh, you or anyone that you know been victimized with uh, with vandalism and just? Yes, down down the street from me, which is closer to the river, a a woman was at home by herself. Her husband wasn't home yet, and somebody took a 
you know what I, he may have been a Haitian but this was a while back he had a baseball bat where he probably picked it up in the yard and he was pounding trying to break into her house and wow. she and the children were scared to death and the husband was not there luckily help arrived in time before the, he got in but uh, and you know uh, I was a law enforcement officer for 35 years I carried a gun for 30 what three years of that and now I'm carrying 24-7 if someone comes into my house I don't want to have to hurt anyone that's incredible that's incredible um here in the conclusion part of our, of our conversation, what do you think needs to happen? I mean, let's be honest. If you if you could wave a magic wand, what do you think needs to happen to resolve this situation? We need President Trump back. <laughs> okay. We need this this farce of a president and 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 an, and an administration overturned. We need it. We need it righted. That's what we need. Do I mean, you, I'm, do I'm tired of seeing the buses. I'm tired of seeing the the illegal aliens. I'm tired of the, the threats. And, and I'm tired of having to walk around armed all the time. I think back to my days of of innocence when, when all I did, you know, was sleep with windows open. I, I dread if my air conditioner ever goes out because I'm going to have to sit in a hot house. Because <laughs> wow. I can't open windows. It's it, it's true. I mean, you know, you don't, uh, you just don't feel safe even in your own home anymore. No, um, no. The uh, is the local government. I mean, does, does the local government uh, doing anything to help you? You know what? They run hot and cold. I think mm-hmm. they, they, when it gets really, really bad, then they all get fired up, and you know, they want to help. Probably because of the people, you know, start screaming, but for a while there I mean it was like oh okay now yeah, let's help them out of the water and we'll you know we'll you know Border Patrol will do their thing and we help them get on the buses and we send them down the road well you know what <laughs> if you build it they come and when when Biden said you know yeah y'all come yeah, they did <laughs> and they are they are really coming Esther thank you very very much for taking time to be with us so folks we've been speaking with uh, Miss Esther Chapoy from uh, Del Rio, uh, I, you know, we our prayers are with you. Stay safe, Esther. You know, that's what we need. We need more prayer. We need more prayer. That's all, because God is the only one who's going to be able to help us through this. Yep, I agree. I agree because this is this situation is is bad. Thank you very much for t- taking time with us today. Okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You got it. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez. El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Hi folks, this is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism? Go to borderhawk.news. Borderhawk.news has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. Borderhawk.news has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to borderhawk.news. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, a new guest with us, uh, Mr. Victor Avila, who is a former uh, ICE agent and an author. And uh, I've asked him to tell us about his book in a little bit. But first of all, uh, I wanted him to chat with us regarding the um, he sees happening. Um, Victor, uh, welcome to the show. Talk to us. Tell us what um, what do you see? What have you? Um, what do you think of the current crisis that we've got going on the border? Well, first of all, thank you, George, for having me on. And uh, you know, um, I think this 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 situation at the border is beyond the crisis. I think this is a flat out invasion that we are experiencing. And I, uh, who worked uh, most of my career, born and raised in El Paso, Texas, grew up in a border town and worked most of my career uh, on the border and in Mexico, I've never, ever seen anything like this. 
the sheer numbers of illegal aliens coming into our country just through Texas. Mind you, we're talking about Texas here. Let's not forget that it's happening in New Mexico, Arizona, and California as well. But what's happening here in Texas is just unprecedented. It is uh, completely chaotic, and and you have to blame the, the Biden administration because of their open border policies. We saw just months before uh, Biden took office that the border was starting to become uh, under control for many factors. One of those, which I think is one of the solutions that we need to go back to today, right now, as things have gotten even worse uh, from uh, the beginning of the year. Now, I've I've gone to the border myself. Uh, I've been to McAllen and I've been to Del Rio. Uh, I'm actually headed to the border this coming weekend and we'll be there for a week down in the McAllen area and Laredo uh, area. Uh, so I continue to go down there to get first-hand information from uh, reaction from the agents on the ground, from the local sheriffs, and and, and so forth. But um, you know, th- this this invasion that we're seeing is uh, many factors. One of the things that I would like to see is that I don't see a lot of people talking about is the relationship we have with Mexico. Why isn't anyone on the Mexican side from our government now? Mind you, it doesn't have to be from the Biden administration. It could be from the governor's office going over and talking to Mexico and having a a little powwow, if you will, and say, listen, this is what's happening in your country that's affecting ours as well. And there's there's not an ocean next to Texas. There's a country that's sovereign, that has immigration law. And the people that are coming to Mexico are also illegally present in that country. And why isn't Mexico doing their part in sending these people back? Um, and so I would like to see movement there. I'd like to see more enforcement on the border. Now, we know we know that the, the Biden administration has tied the hands of our border agents. But a, a great example, just a couple of days ago, uh, when they did allow the border agents to seal that part of Del Rio where thousands of Haitians were coming through, what happened? We immediately saw our border agents on horseback do their job. They've been wanting to do their job, George, for a long time. Uh, that's all they want to do is do the job that they've been trained to do. But then you let them do their job, and the left attacks them for doing it, uh, for the, with these ridiculous claims of whipping people. It, it is out of control. Um, you can't have it both ways. When they attacked President Trump when he was securing the border with our border agents, but they won't attack President Biden, because he's the president right now under this, uh, you know, with these border agents. It makes no sense. Um, and I like to see more effort done at the state level. I know that, that uh, Governor Abbott sent all these patrol units and it was a nice photo op and finally sealed that area. But it was after 15,000 people had come in. Why wasn't that sealed four or five days before all these people came in? We need leadership in our state of Texas to uh, to battle the illegal immigration because you know George we are getting hit with the uh, the COVID cases that's one we're getting hit with these uh, a lot of health issues that a lot of these Haitians and the other illegal aliens are bringing into Texas and frankly the rest of the country because let me tell you they're going everywhere else you know that they, uh, some stay in Texas but they're going everywhere they're going from. Seattle, Washington, all the way to the other side, New York and Florida. Everywhere is dispersed throughout our country. And there's going to have a severe impact, if not so already in some in some small counties, in your healthcare systems, in your school systems, and of course your criminal justice systems will be affected. And um, uh, I like what, with what you do, George, in bringing light and bringing the awareness to the people. I try to do the same. But it's it's incredible to me that still and uh, today as we're ta- as you and I are, are talking, people just frankly don't understand what is happening at our southern border and how it's going to affect them in many ways in their hometowns. And uh, I I go out there and speak to groups and try to make them aware of the chaos that is happening down there. And why is it that a, a lot of the laws and a lot of the mandates that are being implemented by the Biden administration? only apply to us U.S. citizens or, for example, to foreigners that want to come in by air. They have to be now vaccinated. But if you're coming illegally through our southern border in between the ports of entry, 
You don't require vaccination. You don't require a COVID test. You don't require anything. As a matter of fact, you don't require an identification to board a U.S. airline, an airplane, like I have personally witnessed illegal aliens from Africa board an airplane without any identification in this country of the United States, even after 9-11, after, no, after we know what uh, challenges we face and, and the national security issue that this brings, because I think ultimately this is what we're facing. is a national security issue. It's a public safety issue. And those laws that we've had in place for many years don't apply to illegal aliens. Right now, the Biden administration ignores illegal immigration law, or immigration law, I should say, ignores Title 42, ignores the order by the Supreme Court uh, in uh, ordering the Biden administration to reinstate remain in Mexico policy. They ignore the asylum laws. The asylum laws, by the way, have been the same. They haven't changed. It's the interpretation by this government that has changed, and that has caused all of this. And, and what you've seen in Del Rio the last few days is a culmination of all these issues and ignoring them by the Biden administration. And frankly, also, the state hasn't done enough to step up, and our governor has not stepped up and done enough to secure our border. We can, as the state of Texas, protect the sovereignty of our state as well. And I would like to see more uh, to be more to be done in that area. Um, we need, uh, so there's a lot there's a lot of issues here, uh, as you know, George, with um, the uh, the health issues, the the COVID, the uh, the public safety. Um, what happened in Afghanistan um, and the threat that we face from terrorism? When I worked in Mexico at the U.S. Embassy. I interviewed a lot of these individuals, what we call SIA, special interest aliens. This is 10 years ago, and they were in Mexico already. They have already established communities, uh, and all the way from Tijuana down to Brownville, uh, people from special interest countries like uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, Somalia. They're in Mexico. And after what happened in Afghanistan and the Taliban, they know very well, as you and I know, how open and porous the southern border is. Why wouldn't they try to access our country through there? And the big difference is they want to come access our country to possibly harm us. There also is a threat to all these sleeper cells. There was an arrest of an individual in northern Texas just uh, a week and a half ago. He, he killed a, a Lyft driver, a female Lyft driver, and went and shot up the Plano Police Department. And although he didn't pledge allegiance to any of the, uh, to ISIS or any of those, he did state that he was, um, emboldened by, by the Taliban and put, because they had one down there in Afghanistan. And so how many of those more sleeper cells do we have in our country that pose a threat to our safety? There's a lot of factors here that the Biden administration is, is, is no longer able to ignore. And we must continue to put the pressure on our elected official, officials, not just at the Biden level, I'm talking about your local state reps to see why aren't they doing anything about it. Yep. Let me ask you this real quick, because you've enumerated, uh, you know, the, the disease and the potential for terrorists. What about the criminal cartels? What about these cartels that uh, are, are right across the border and apparently are making a lot of money off of um, uh, smuggling either drugs or people into, into our country? Yes, yes, George, the cartels, oh my goodness, I do, uh, I do these uh, public speaking events and these uh, presentations, and I, one of those is uh, specifically on the cartels. I, I personally think they should be designated as foreign terrorist organizations, because I think that's what they are. Just this past Sunday, George, they bombed uh, a local uh, restaurant there by an Uber driver and on a motorcycle delivered a gift, supposedly to the owner there of the restaurant, well, the gift box was a bomb. This is what the cartels do. They are uh, they are terrorists. They bomb, they maim, they torture, they extort. And yes, they continue to bring in the flow of illegal aliens, uh, human trafficking, smuggling them, and some trafficking them, and the children as well. And of course, the drugs, the fentanyl, the methamphetamine. I talked to the Dallas Police Department. They're overwhelmed with meth cases in the in Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, the fentanyl has killed over 90,000 people in our country, and no one seems to blink an eye. All of that is linked back to the cartels. 
a lot of the gang, a lot of the violence that we see within the United States in Chicago, in St. Louis, in Baltimore, links to the cartels. And um, all of that is completely being ignored by the Biden administration. I, I, it doesn't benefit. It doesn't benefit the U.S. citizen. It doesn't benefit all of us in a, in a public safety issue. Um, but we're going to see the effects of these individuals. Uh, once they're, they're already here, by the way. Most of them are already in this country, and they're operating. We must seal the border to finally take control of our country. Yeah, Victor, we need to close right now, but uh, can you tell us real quick about your, your book so that people can uh, know where to buy it? Yes, my name. the name of the book is Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto. You can go to uh, agentunderfirebook.com or you go directly to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. This is the story of Agent Zapata and I being ambushed in Mexico. I survived being shot three times, and Agent Zapata tragically lost his life in the line of duty. And I also talked the second part of the book. It's all about border security from the wall to uh, sanctuary cities, asylum, everything that we talked about today. Wonderful. Victor, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Folks, we've been speaking with uh, former ICE agent, author, in my opinion, a hero, Mr. Mr. Victor Avila. Victor, thank you very, very much. We'll be in touch. We'll follow up and uh, get you on the show again. Thank you, George. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Ira Melman from the Federation for Immigration, for American Immigration Reform in Washington, D.C. Now, one of the hot stories that has been going on this past week that uh, not much has been said uh, here in our area, but uh, it's, it's quite a story. And we want, I want Ira to please explain to us. The Democrats were trying to push the idea to push amnesty uh, by uh, getting the parliamentarian of the Senate to allow it. I'd like to find out uh, what that meant and how that failed, because uh, apparently it did. Ira, thank you for joining us. Can you explain to us what was what the Democrats were up to, what they were planning, and what uh, you know this means for us? At, Sure. Uh, you know, we, we've all heard about this $3.5 trillion uh, so-called infrastructure bill that the Democrats are pushing in Congress. Uh, and, you know, that, that is a spending bill. And what they can do in a spending bill is use a process known as budget reconciliation to get it through the Senate without having to get the 60 votes necessary to avoid a filibuster. Uh, so that the process was put in place so that the federal budget wasn't held hostage uh, to the need to get 60 votes. Uh, and what the Democrats are trying to do, or we're trying to do, is include a provision that would grant amnesty to about 8 million people in this budget reconciliation bill. Uh, and in the Senate, there are a lot more, there are a lot stricter rules than there are in the House, uh, that when you do a bill in the Senate, it has, all the amendments have to be pertinent to the, the basic bill itself, in other words, funding the government, funding infrastructure projects, in this case, uh, and that they, these provisions have to have a significant beneficial impact on the federal treasury. Uh, and clearly, an amnesty for 8 million people has nothing to do with the federal budget. You know, they concocted all sorts of uh, ideas that, you know, somehow if we legalize all these people, then they'll all be paying more taxes and it'll enhance the government's coffers. In fact, exactly the opposite would happen. Most of these people would be earning very low wages and using a lot more in social services than they would be paying it in taxes. But anyway, they, they gave it a shot. Uh, and, you know, Elizabeth McDonough, who is the most important person in the country right now that nobody's ever heard of, uh, she is the parliamentary of, parliamentarian of the Senate. She took a look at this and said, uh-uh, uh, well, you can't do this. This really has nothing to do with funding the government. Uh, it is not germane to the basic bill itself, and you can't do it. Now, this doesn't mean the Democrats are giving up. They're going to keep trying at this. They're going to try to tinker with it, see if they can sneak it past her a second time. So it, it is a really important victory, but 
it's not going to be over until this bill is resolved finally. You know, it may not even get through the Senate because of, of opposition from certain Democratic members. Uh, but, but certainly the Democrats are not going to give up. They're going to keep trying to push amnesty, and we're going to have to keep fighting back. What's very, very interesting is the reaction, for example, from uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar from Minnesota. Uh, she immediately went on the offense and said, uh, uh, well, in essence said, you know, forget the uh, parliamentarian and forget the rules. Uh, go ahead and do it anyway. That's what she told uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer. Uh, it doesn't seem like these people care very much about laws or rules, do they? No, they don't. And, you know, that there is always the option he can try, to, uh, Chuck Schumer can try to just bust the Senate rules. He is the majority leader. Uh, it, he, he even has the, the ability to replace her. Uh, but, you know, while Ilhan Omar may be upset about it, uh, doing so would probably lose him the support of at least several members of the Democratic caucus in the Senate. And in a 50-50 uh, Senate, uh, it's, he, he simply cannot afford to lose it. You know, um, two notable senators, Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema from Arizona have both said that they will not tolerate uh, busting the rules in order to get amnesty or to do other things that the Democrats might want to get done while they have complete control of the federal government. So it, there are there would be some blowback there, but you know you know it's not out of the question. The, the uh, Democrats are desperate uh, to get their agenda through before next November, when you know the, all polls indicate that they're likely to lose control of at least one House of House of Congress. They're trying to do whatever they can to get their agenda finished between now and then. Now, uh, so uh, bottom line to this whole situation with uh, uh, the parliamentarian being asked to uh, to include amnesty. What that, that was was literally a an, an an attempted end run to the rules. Yes, a, a very clear end run around the rules. Um, you know, it, it should be obvious to anyone that this is not a budget issue. Uh, that this is a public policy, and you know they're free to bring it up in a standalone bill and have it considered uh, under the normal rules, which require that you get 60 votes to bring a bill to the floor for a final vote. Uh, they know very well they're not going to get 60 votes. They may, might not even get all 50 Democratic senators to vote for it. Uh, so th this was just a desperate attempt on their part to try to get something through, hoping that you know the Senate parliamentarian would uh, be sympathetic to their political aims. Uh, it turns out she she was doing her job. She is the parliamentarian of the Senate. Uh, doesn't matter what her personal political uh, beliefs are. Uh, she understands that her job is to rule on whether or not uh, the procedures are being followed. Well, now let me ask you one uh, more question before I let you go, and this is regarding the uh, Haitian situation that we've got down here in, in Del Rio. My understanding that. Um, on the same day that uh, the Biden administration said they were going to start sending them back, there was also a temporary uh, status, temporary, what do they call it, Tem uh, T TPS, temporary protective status uh, for Haitians. Uh, I mean, so you're going to deport them, but at the same time you can't deport them because they've got uh, temporary protective status. What's the story on that? Well, you know, the thing about the Haitians who are coming across right now, these are not people who are coming from Haiti. Uh, for the most part, these are people who have been out of Haiti for years and years, uh, living in Central and South America. And there are two things that trigger this. Um, number one was the Biden administration's change to the way uh, asylum cases are adjudicated, that the initial determination of whether there is a likely case to be made can now be done by an officer for U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services rather than by an immigration judge. And that's really the, the main barrier that everybody wants to get over, because once you're in the country, it doesn't matter how your case is adjudicated, you're not leaving. Uh, so the second thing was the announcement after the assassination of the president in Haiti and the earthquake and the floods uh, that we were going to grant temporary protected status. Uh, so you had all these Haitians say, you know, now is the time to come to the United States. Uh, 
but the fact is that these people were not coming from Haiti. They've been out of Haiti for years and years, and none of this applies to them. Uh, in order to be able to qualify for TBS, you actually have to have lived in Haiti, uh, when in fact most of these people have not for quite some time. Wow. So, I, I mean, a, a bottom line to this whole situation, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where this uh, entire thing is going to end unless they go back to the, to the Trump policies, correct? That's correct. Um, you know, they need to go back to their um, policy, which was the mig- migrant protection protocols, also known as Remain in Mexico, uh, that if you enter the country illegally from Mexico and want to si- uh, file an asylum claim, that you have to go back to Mexico, wait your turn, rather than come across the border and wait here. Uh, the Biden administration canceled that policy when they came to office last winter. Uh, a judge has said that they violated procedural uh, acts that preclude them from simply arbitrarily ending it. Uh, you know, the Biden administration has said they're going to comply, but they're going to comply as slowly as they possibly can. Uh, so right now, um, we don't have that protection in place. The only protection left is the Title 42 removals, which uh, were implemented at the outset of COVID to prevent people from coming into the United States who might be carrying the COVID uh virus. So that's still in place. It is being used sparingly by the Biden administration, but at least that is still in place and provides the last layer of protection that we actually have. Let me ask you this last question. Give me your thoughts or opinion, should I say. It just doesn't seem to us here in the hinterlands that the Biden administration cares very much about protecting the border, securing the border, stopping illegal immigration and drugs it just doesn't seem like their like their heart is in that idea. <laughs> you know, what, what, what gives you that impression? Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, they have no interest whatever. Uh, you know, the Biden administration's immigration policy is controlled by open borders advocates. These are the people that the president appointed to fill these positions, and we're seeing the manifestation of that in the policies that this administration is carrying out. So yes, I mean the administration doesn't care about anything uh, except getting those borders open, getting as many people in here as they possibly can. Uh, you know, whatever the cost is in terms of health, national security. I mean, after the uh, debacle in Afghanistan, the Pentagon uh, said very clearly that we have a heightened threat of terrorist attacks now uh, as a result of that. Now, if you have a heightened threat of terrorist attacks in an open border, that is not a good combination. <laughs> to say the least, to say the least. Ira, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today. Um, tell the folks where they can uh, follow uh, FAIR and how they can support it. Best place to go is to our website, which is fairus.org. <laughs> Excuse me, that's F-A-I-R-U-S.org, fairus.org. All the information is there. Uh, and it, it is going to be, you know, a, a rough view few months or years ahead of us right now so uh the american people's voice is more necessary than ever you got it once again my friends we've been speaking with our good friend mr ira melman from the uh, federation for american immigration reform in washington dc thanks a lot ira have a good one you too thanks once again my friends george rodriguez el conservador on klup 930 a.m radio the answer Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism. Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer, in San Antonio. And uh, we've got a new guest with us, a very special guest, uh, Mr. Randy Clark. And Randy is a former Border Patrol agent, a division chief in operations uh, here along the here in, along the Texas border. And uh, to say that he's got experience on the border is to, uh, is to minimize his background. But not only that, Randy is now a reporter for Breitbart, if you can imagine. 
And of course, he uh, was down at the border. Uh, he has been down watching what's going on in, in Del Rio, and uh, as well as other places. And uh, I wanted to get him on and get his perspective, because it's going to be unique. Not only is he, is he a reporter, like I said, he has also been at the front lines as a Border Patrol agent. So, Randy, thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, tell us, for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Tell us, first of all, uh, about this situation in Del Rio and you as a former agent uh, having experienced other surges, uh, having experienced um, working on the border. Have you ever seen anything like this? No, uh, I have 32 and a half years of experience, you know, with the border from the border patrol from California all the way to uh, to South Texas, and and I grew up in, in Eagle Pass, so I'm pretty familiar with the border. And we have seen migrant surges in years past, but uh, we have seen nothing akin to what is going on in Del Rio right now, where there are still a little bit over 7,000 mostly Haitian migrants. Uh, camped under a bridge, uh, being detained under a bridge, the Del Rio International Bridge on U.S. soil. Now, uh, the, the at, at its height uh, over the weekend, um, I was there, and uh, it, you know the estimates were thirteen to fourteen thousand. So now it's been reduced. Uh, there are some that are going back across the river that are literally being uh, herded back, and we've got uh, already pictures and. There's uh, emotional meltdowns in Washington about it. Um, you know, these folks obviously are not going quietly. Some of them have tried to abduct uh, a, a bus. And then uh, my understanding was that there's some ICE agents in, uh, in Port Au-Prince who, when they landed, were attacked. So uh, are these folks going to go quietly, do you think? Well, I, I think many of them are going to be released ultimately into the United States. Oh uh, and I think the administration is going to try and do that quietly. But as far as, you know, go quietly to, to be removed back to Haiti, many of these folks, the the family units are multinational. They they are a Haitian mother and father, a Chilean child, because they have they didn't leave Haiti last week. They left Haiti years ago. And they have been migrating slowly. But over the course of the last month, they have been basically fighting their way from Tapachula, Mexico, all the way to the United States. That's been widely reported in Mexico. Uh, for Breitbart News, I have been following this consistently since late July, uh, when uh, Governor Abbott issued that transportation ban for migrants away from the border due to COVID. At that time, those Haitian migrants were already re arriving in Del Rio by the hundreds per day. It just didn't raise the public ire like it is doing right now because now we've seen in the course of the last 10 days the count being detained under that bridge steadily rise from about the 4th of September through yesterday from uh, 500 all the way to to my sources tell me a little bit in excess of 15,000 at its height over the weekend. So this is not a big secret. Uh, I was at the press conference that Secretary Mallorca was at uh, on uh, two days ago he basically said this took them by surprise. Well, that's that's impossible. You know, my experience with the Border Patrol, we report media highlights daily to the highest levels of CBP and DHS. Uh, that would lead us to believe that he has no contacts in Mexico, does not read the media, does not listen to the media, and that he was taken by surprise. If that's the case, wrong man for the job. He's supposed to be finding folks like ISIS-K coming surreptitiously. If he couldn't see... 15,000 Haitian migrants slowly marching towards the southern border. We're all in trouble. <laughs> really? I mean, I, I, I find it very, very uh, disingenuous, his comment uh, the other day that um, telling people don't come. Uh, you know, you're, you're right. Are, are people being... Uh, I know that there was a, a um, what do they call it, a, a temporary... Uh, status given to to Haitians. So while through one mouth, one side of the mouth, they are saying that they are deporting some, they are also uh, providing a temporary uh, uh, status to uh, to them, aren't they? Yes, and, that, and that's just another draw. Temporary protected status recognizes conditions in a country that make it very difficult for that country to receive their nationals if they are removed. So there is a date. You have to be physically present uh, before July or in the month of July. You had to be physically present. So it doesn't apply to them, but it is a draw because if you get into the country, we have already told you 
publicly that we think the conditions aren't ripe for your removal and you probably won't be removed. So this was a draw that encouraged most of them to come to the country. And, and you know, there's multiple sides to this story. Uh, I, you saw the conditions in the camp. I have seen them. Uh, I've stood over the camp on the International Bridge before it was closed. The conditions are horrid. And if you look at it with your own eyes and you see some of the images, you cannot believe that we are detaining people in those conditions. You know, this is the United States of America. We should be more humane, more organized, and more systematic with our immigration laws and our systems that that should not happen in America. And and I've never seen anything like it. Like I say, in 32 and a half years, never witnessed that. that that's it's incredible. Now, um, so where do we go from from here? Where do you think uh, the this uh, this story and the rest of it? Because uh, obviously. Um, you know, uh, some of them are going to stick around and be resettled. Uh, others, uh, a few of them, I'd have to say, I'm, I'm very skeptical about it, but a few of them uh, might be removed and deported. But um, where do you, I mean, do you think, do you think there'll be more surges? I think that's a great possibility because I know that we have a large contingent of, of Haitian migrants in Reynosa right now, more headed that way that the, the Mexican government just clearly can't stop. They're making some efforts in Mexico uh, to fly south from Acuna into Tapachula and to remove some that have returned to Mexico. So they're pinched right now between maybe we're going to get removed by Mexico all the way back to Tapachula where they don't want to give us travel documents to transit the country, or maybe we're going to go back to Haiti if we go back to the United States. But we've created another powder keg, much like Afghanistan, where you have a large population uh, of people that are going to panic because of the uncertainty that has been allowed to be created down there. So it, it's anybody's guess what's going to happen to those who have been, uh, who have chosen to go back to Mexico, self-deport, so to speak. Uh, it's going to be up to the Mexican government what they choose to do with those folks, or if they choose to try and laterally travel because some have been getting cabs in Acuña and leaving. We don't know where they're going yet. Uh, Maybe the Rio Grande Valley. It could be 60 miles, you know, downriver to Eagle Pass. It remains to be seen yet, uh, but but this is a crisis that is totally avoidable and and was created by the administration. There's just no two ways to, to get to someplace else other than that. Do you think we're continuing to encourage them to come? I mean, are there are there things that we continue to do that encourage uh, not only Haitians but a lot of other people to come? Well, absolutely. You know, I think uh, during the the Democratic de- debates when Jorge Ramos asked you know, the future president of the United States, what he was going to do about, you know, immigration and the remain in Mexico policy. He clearly said, if I'm elected, surge the border. We, we want to hear your asylum claims. And that was tantamount to yelling fire in an incredibly global theater. Uh, those folks heard him and they are surging here. But, but the other side of that coin is some of them were settled in Chile and other places and had s- some livelihoods that they have totally given up to get here. Those that were in Central America that are traveling in, in mass to, to the border, they have overwhelmed a system that was immediately dismantled. Uh, the one thing I'll say about my 32 years is there were policies put in place because of the migrant caravans in 2019, international agreements, uh, which, which they call asylum cooperative agreements, that required El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras to accept nationals of those neighboring countries to provide safe haven while their asylum claims were being heard here, because that takes years. And most of them on face value are not asylum claims. They, it, they're economic migrants that, that are coming. And you know, your heart has to break for them because they are selling, giving away everything and their families are being extorted to get them here. And now we realize we've created such a mess that, hey, we are flying them. We are actually deporting these folks back to Mexico under Title 42. They are getting sent to Tapachula and walked across the Guatemalan border. Uh, they're getting sent to their home countries. Uh, they have ramped up removals because they realize this cannot be sustained. But it, but it's a little late in the game because the system is so overwhelmed, it cannot handle the bulk of the children that are coming. Because that's another thing we haven't talked about. We have right now 13,000 children in custody that have been self-removed from their family that are in HHS custody, Health and Human Services. We have another almost 1,000 in CBP custody. That's 14,000 orphans, and we have been releasing nearly on pace about 18,000 a month to sponsors, and the government won't tell us who's picking up these children. So this is an incredible mess, and I think we are going to see surges because we have, we have just been overwhelmed. 
That's incredible. I mean, the we've we've turned our, our country into an orphanage. Amazing. And uh, we've encouraged that. You know, these are not orphans that travel to the border by themselves. Just a week ago, we found a toddler, and I say we, the border patrol discovered a toddler in a carrier, a car carrier, and a two-year-old sibling with a note underneath telling the border patrol agents that they were citizens of Honduras and what their names were. And they were left with no adults anywhere around within feet of the raging river. Uh, there's nobody, because this is not a political issue on the border. Democrats and Republicans are in unison on this one. This is not a valid way to conduct immigration business for our country. Yeah. Uh, it, it, for, it, give us, it, tell us, if you can, what, what would have happened, what happened to those two kids? Are they going to be reunited since they, are, uh, since they know uh, what their names are? Are they going to be reunited with their family? And are there, is the family going to re- re- uh, face any kind of... Uh, of, uh, of penalty for allowing their children to be utilized that way? Well, so the policies that are put in place are the policies that are canceled that, that seem to be heartwarming. They actually have the opposite impact. When you tell folks, like the Biden administration did, that we are no longer going to remove children uh, with, with families and children who are by themselves, then we encourage folks to send their children in advance. So those children will be turned over to HHS. They'll go to a myriad of brand new centers that we have built that cost us nearly $10 million a day to run. And we're, we're gonna have our folks, the HHS workers and the volunteers are gonna look for family members. Usually the family member will contact them several days or weeks afterwards so that they can be reunited in the United States. The family, the, the father and mother will cross later on and they'll, they'll pick up the children. Well, we're not going to remove that family once that child is in a shelter in Pennsylvania or in Florida or in San Diego or even in San Antonio. We don't have the logistics for that in our systems. So uh, it's, it's something that we created. Incredible. Buddy, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us this morning. Uh, we've been speaking with Mr. Randy Clark, uh, reporter for Breitbart and former Border Patrol agent of 32 years. Randy, thank you very much for taking time to be with us. Anything that you'd like to share before we go? Yes, one last thing. I would like to, uh, you know, make sure that we thank all of those Border Patrol agents, state troopers, National Guardsmen, our local and county authorities in Del Rio who have stepped up to a situation they did not create, pulled together as a community. Uh, They are suffering down there, and they've been suffering for weeks with this crisis, and they have done a phenomenal job down there. Excellent. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM, Radio The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.